Hey, good morning. I'm on my way to work, and I was thinking about stuff, and so I was like, you know what? I'll just go ahead and start recording. Um, but it's raining a little bit. Uh, and I don't, I'm like probably three quarters of the way, or a quarter of the way to work, so I won't be able to talk too long. But I did want to get this thought out, because um, I was thinking about it. Um, and so... I watched these um, Alan Watts videos this past weekend, and he was talking about how um, like we think we think life is a journey, and actually it's just the only thing that's real is each moment. And I know obviously this is something. Uh, a lot of people talk about um, but what I was thinking about was the other thing I've heard a lot is that um, time doesn't exist so there's a little bit of a contradiction in between those two things it would seem like because like if I'm always thinking about the past and the future um, like what's going to come, where I'm going how did I do this thing? I think I underperformed. I think people are saying this and that about me. All these, all these like stories we tell ourselves. That would seem to be past and present thought, which would seem to be related to time. But in fact, it's not. Um, because all those things, they're just stories or narratives uh, that we tell ourselves. Uh, and, and, and reality usually doesn't usually follow those those timelines at all. Usually we're surprised or something happens different than what we thought was going to happen. At least in my case, I tend to worry about stuff and then it's not usually as bad as I thought it was or if something bad does happen, I usually didn't see it coming. Um, and so, like, but what is for sure is that in this instant, stuff is happening. Like, right in this one instant, like where you're at listening, like, there's squirrels outside, like, looking for seeds. There's trees that are, like, reacting to the ground, and they're stretching and growing slowly. Uh, the sun is, like, shining down. It's like the pavement you're on has, like, probably, like, worms and stuff crawling on it. The person you're seeing on the sidewalk, like, next to you is thinking about stuff, and they're looking at someone else, and that person's thinking about stuff, and the person in the car that you're just drove by or that you're driving by is like thinking about stuff the person sitting next to you at work has got stuff going on in their mind and they're thinking about deadlines they've got to hit or they're thinking about how they underperformed on something or overperformed probably not thinking about how they overperformed but like how they you know and like everybody is like going through these stories and it's like it's this giant web of instantaneous connection all the time and if time doesn't exist like, what doesn't exist is those stories that we tell ourselves. Like, the stories don't exist, but what does exist is all these instantaneous interactions, which we're not really paying attention to usually, but they're just, like, piled up on each other all the time. And it's a pretty crazy thing, like, when I was thinking about it. It's like this massive, like energy hub that we're never really at least I'm never really paying attention to and I, I get the sense it's kind of like the default state of people um, 
to just not to just invent stories that you know make me feel better about my place in all of this and um, I don't know so yeah anyways that's what I was thinking about but I was also thinking about too like how that relates to um, dreams and uh, like desires I think desires are a part of that and I think desires may be affecting the instantaneousness of it like when I look at stuff I was afraid of or thought would be coming my way like feeling trapped in a job for instance um I was trapped in a job like it's like I was worried when I was in college I was worried I'd get trapped in a job I didn't want to get trapped in a job and then after college that's exactly what happened um and so many times it's like the thing you thought about or were thinking about happens like months later. Like you'll go through an experience and it'll be like months later and it'll be like this is exactly the moment. But it's the real moment. So it's like the story, the fear, is not necessarily the story that was driving it, it's the fear. Like you might have a story in your head, like for instance I have a story in my head that like I need to do this, this, and this in order to be successful at a certain thing that I'm trying to make happen. So, like, I need to get a certain amount of fans or something. Or, like, uh, in order to be successful at, like, music or something like that. And really that's not how, in my, in my observation, it's not really how it works. Um, like, the story you have of how you need to, like, calculate. Whenever I try to make a story like that or I try to... Uh, make it happen it usually I get really frustrated and it doesn't work out like and then when stuff does work out it seems to just happen it's just like something just kind of just opens up and happens um and if I think about it it's like well the story wasn't real but the event of stuff happening for me of me like having that conversation with someone or like you know uh or just finding a random uh ad or something in the paper. I don't know. Like, <laughs> my examples are not great. But, like, um, you know, like, what, what I talked about in my earlier podcast about, like, having the conversation with my friend's uh, girlfriend where she was, like, said that there's openings at the place I currently work now. Um, and so, like, that was the impetus for me to, like, actually move, you know, from, like, a bad job to, like, you know, just a regular job. Um, and so... Um, anyways, but, but like the key that I was saying, what I was trying to get at is that like, it's not in the story you tell yourself, it's like, it's just in the instantaneous stuff that's happening. And I think that's where like, you have more control is with desire, not necessarily with the story you're going to tell about it. Like the story is just like, it, it can just, and the important thing is I think that a lot of times the stories like torture us completely. Like, they really torture. Like, because it's like, you know, if, you're, if your partner gets upset with you, like, for leaving the light on or something when they're trying to sleep, and you're like, oh, they don't like me. It's like, you can tell yourself that story. That's probably not true. They're probably just trying to sleep and, like, the light was bothering them, you know? And it's like, and it's, and you could, like, go on, like, an hour-long tangent about how, like, 
you want to be with this person, but they don't treat you right and all this stuff. And it's like, no. Or you could just, like, let that one instance happen, you know, for that one moment. And, you know, it's just how people people are. Uh, sometimes people get uncomfortable. Um, anyways, that didn't take very long. Um, I'm almost to work. And so I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop the recording here. And I might do another one this evening, or if, if I don't, I'll just release this later on today. So, anyways, thanks for listening, and um, hope, hope you're doing okay. Thanks. Hey. Well, it's lunchtime, and I am driving home, so I thought I would talk some more, because, yeah, um, so what I, what I thought I would, what I want to talk about today, as I was working on, so I talked, I recorded that thing this morning, and I was, like, thinking about something else that people may not know about. My brakes are really squeaky because it's wet. Um, is uh, why the suburbs look the way they do, and why they look different from like downtown areas of cities, um, and um, why everything's kind of separated the way it is. Like, like how there's parts where there's houses, and then there's parts where there's shopping, and. Um, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, that's what I was going to talk about because I have experience with it since I um, design it. So, uh, or do yeah, I do like layouts for. I mean, that's part of what I do. Um, so, um, and also kind of what's what forces are driving it. So there are these things called zoning ordinances that. Um, I know this is probably exciting, but it, I actually do think it's kind of exciting because um, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of buildings, I don't know, I'm I'm an architect, but like, as um, most buildings are like really ugly, <laughs> like the new ones, um, most new buildings are pretty ugly, and a lot of that has to do with, and it feels like the further along in time we get like, the uglier they get, um, at least in the, I'm pretty, speaking purely about the United States, um, like, I, Europe has a little bit different, um, and the rest of the world, it seems to me, has a little bit different, um, culture around how they build buildings, um, but in the United States, where we worship the dollar, um, it's resulted in some pretty awful-looking buildings, Um, There are good buildings, too. There are some, like, really nice-looking buildings. But that usually has to do with, um, like, the client has enough money. So, anyways, starting with the zoning ordinances. Hold on a second. This is the the nasty merge um, onto the highway. So, um... Yeah, so the zoning ordinance requires parking uh, requirements 
for a site, and they also the zoning ordinance also has um, what's called setbacks or property setbacks. So it sh- says like how far. So this is like an ordinance is a law. So this is like the law. So you have to follow it. Um, and you can appeal to like your city board or what's usually called like a planning commission or something if you want to change. But that's usually like a lengthy process and um, nobody really wants to... I mean, people do go through it for um, variances and planned zoning districts, is what they're called in my city. Um, But it's not very... I don't know. It takes time to do that. If you want to get your project done fast and start it quickly, that's probably not... It's going to take like three or four months to go through that process, which... It's going to take you three or four months to design your building, for sure, um, and all that. But anyways, there's these parking requirements uh, that are gigantic. So, like, for instance, right now I'm laying out some apartments on a site, and the city I'm working in has a parking requirement of for every two units you need three spaces, or for every unit you have 1.5 parking spaces. Um, and... Um, so that results in a gigantic parking lot I mean your parking is huge Um, it's the same for like a large retail store too like Home Depot's or Target's or whatever uh, Walmart like all those types of things um, they have these gigantic parking requirements that make it so that You have to put the parking lot... Usually you put the parking lot in front of the building. Um, You can put the parking lot behind the building, but then it's like your parking is not going into your main entrance because you'd want the front of the building to face the street. So it's like you end up with this, like, sea of parking facing the building. So why are these parking requirements so huge? Like, I mean, the apartment one, I get it. Like, you probably, you know, probably going to have two people living in an apartment, possibly in one bedroom apartment, um, or with two vehicles. So 1.5 vehicles per apartment isn't the same like that. But, um, but the store parking is crazy. But I think they're sized for, like, you know, Christmas Day sales or whatever. All of this is going to change as we do a lot less retail um, away. And also, it's going to change as less people drive and more people use stuff like Uber and all that, uh, ride-sharing services. But um, the other thing, though, is, is like, you can't cross property lines because there's um, fire code requirements for, like, how close you are to your property line, uh, which means that, like, if your building is really close together like they are in, like, Europe, for example, like in traditional downtown areas in Europe, uh, they're right up next to each other because that's how they built things in the medieval period. Um, Like, you know, you have to build like a firewall, which is kind of expensive to do that. Um, And if it's separated, like you can't have any windows. So as you get farther away from other buildings or from your property line, um, you have less requirements. Basically, all these rules were written like after World War II. Um, and do they serve some purpose? Are they good? Yeah, in some ways they're good because they like... I mean, the fire code laws are good 
Um, they save lives. Um, but so like, I don't know. The parking stuff is is just crazy. It's like we, you don't have to like write the code to. I mean, people could just you could just have less spaces required, and you know, the fact that it's the law means that like people are it's going to be the default thing that like everybody has to do. So you're going to get a lot of parking, like everywhere. Uh, and the nice urban places that you like visit, like Portland or. Um, I don't know, these, like, nice downtown areas, the places in Europe, too, like, uh, they're so, they're so nice because they don't have these crazy parking requirements, um, because they don't expect everybody to have a car, or even if you did, why would we want to flood our downtowns with all the cars? Um, okay, next thing, why are the buildings ugly? (laughs) I think the buildings are ugly for two reasons. One is there's not there's not money available to make people don't expect to pay to make them look nicer. Um, that, like there's precedent set by buildings that were set before. So what happens is that if someone if you know if my friend built a building for one hundred and twenty dollars a square foot, um, which is really 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 cheap um that that would like like then i think i can build a building for 120 dollars a square foot and basically because somebody before you has done it you think you can do a lot cheaper so i think what happened this is my theory the style of architecture changed in um in like the 1930s so, and particularly really changed after World War II because nobody wanted to build anything that looked anything <laughs> like uh, the Third Reich. The Third Reich was really into classical architecture. Um, and so um, that was kind of used as like a symbol of power. And um, just everybody after World War II was like, we don't want any of this like classical looking architecture around so it was like all the ornament um, which costs money to have all this ornament um, that style kind of fell out of favor and amongst architects and I think what happened is once they started showing people, their clients you know, a style that was more socially acceptable um, that was way cheaper to build because it didn't have all this detail and you know all this like brickwork that you see in traditional buildings built like in the 1890s you know turn of the century 1900s um like that's when they switched over to modernism which doesn't rely on proportions uh for its design it looks at modernism looks more at like the building shape as a whole as like a design um almost like a building is like a piece of sculpture but there's an issue there when you do that is that the buildings get really out of um, scale to people who are in them so that's why you have these like home depots and stuff i don't know why i keep saying home depot but like these like giant stores that are just like a symbol of like i'm majorly oversimplifying what happened but 
they're they're like a symbol of what's what they contain, like just a symbol of like how you're going to spend your money at the store. Um, so, anyways, and I think that like that loss of proportion, like, um, for instance, like in the 18th century, you had like Georgian style, um, which had like a portioning system, proportioning system in it. So like the really nice buildings, you know, had more decorative elements and the more simpler buildings and, you know, shop buildings were still in proportion, um, as far as like the width of the windows to the width of the col width of the columns or the width of the spaces between windows would be in, in the same proportion, but, um, as, as like the main building. So there's like this cohesion of all those buildings and that kind of went out the windows with modernism and it kind of relied, relied on the creativity of the architect um, which with client pressures pushing to save money and I think it just re resulted in the ugly buildings we see today which don't have a lot of windows uh, and are just kind of bland there are, a lot of buildings are pretty bland because um, and out of proportion because there's no there's no standard anymore anyways um I don't know if that was interesting to listen to or not, but it kind of is why it just points to this whole thing, like what I was talking about earlier about in my earlier podcast about work. And I think if we functioned as a, as a culture where we actually wanted something to be beautiful and we weren't worried about the money, um, you know, money is an abstraction but buildings are not. Um, and so your money is going to be gone, you know, but the building will be there. And so it, and I think it really does affect people. Like if you're walking in a place that's beautiful versus a place that's just desolate and <laughs> concrete covered. I mean, I think there's like a, a link to, in my opinion, there's a link to depression and sadness and just hopelessness of a culture uh, when it's places that it surrounds its, itself with are just not interesting to look at and just dead and seem seem like death or like deserts. I don't know. I've I heard I read a thing in a book that like when people from Europe come to the United States, they say it looks like a desert. The part the built areas like the urban areas. Now I know like the United States, obviously we have a lot of like land that's beautiful. Um, like in our state parks and our undeveloped land is really gorgeous. Um, but I don't know, like our developed land is just, man, it's ugly. But anyway, so related to the work episode, I guess, I, I'm really hopeful for the future that if we could realign ourselves away from money and making money, but most most buildings now are like commodities for making money. That's how they're looked at. That's how people look at them you don't it's not often that we get clients who are like we want this building to be a place that people come to to be special um and a lot of people don't get experience that and it's not i think in the you know i, know, I haven't even talked about cars like obviously cars played a huge role in all this shift too um but you know I think before we had cars, to get somewhere you had to walk, and to walk you had to experience 
the buildings along the way. And I think with cars, you're a little bit separated from that. Anyways, um, I, I'm going to stop, stop talking because I'm home and I'm going to eat some lunch. And I do understand that it is ironic that I am ranking on cars and yet recording a podcast in one and driving home from my work when I could probably bike. Um, so there's that. I am aware of that. Uh, yeah, so maybe, I don't know. Soon I'm not going to be able to drive anyways because they're doing a bunch of work on the interstate in my city. So, okay, I'm done, and thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again. It's been a long day, but I'm getting off of work. It's 6.15 and I got here to quarter till 8. It's been a long day, but I'm gonna record into my phone. (laughs) Because I don't know how to drive alone. It's been a long day. Alright. I'm done with that. Why am I humming the Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise theme song? It's a really good question. Maybe I've been watching it too much lately. (sighs) Not really. But, man, that theme song. Definitely shouldn't have done that theme song. All right. I'm on my way home, and obviously, because I just sang about it, um, and I wrote something down today, and I was going to talk about that a little bit, um, so I wrote down, um, so a lot of the cost and this is like I'm sure this is oh gosh there's like birds flying around my car um I'm sure that all this is like really exciting to listen to when I talk about like zoning code and all that stuff um but I really think do you think it's important because I feel like this is like how the world gets formed a little in a way in a lot of ways like this really dry like mechanical stuff um and I think it's like interesting to think about why things happen I feel like a lot of people think about like ways to make money or something like at my job I feel like there's a lot of people like oh man you could do this and this and this to make money and it's like but I feel like a lot something we don't think about is like how to make our world richer and a better place to live in um and anyways so that's kind of what I've been thinking about and like uh any anyway like so one of the things that I've thought about um is that like in business models like labor cost is like probably like one of the most significant cost factors like the cost of labor and basically, um, that makes sense because as 
processes become more automated, you know, like there's going to be less involved in products themselves. So like labor itself is human labor is obviously the big cost factor. And so, but I was thinking about how like labor is like inherently inefficient because you're forcing people to work, basically. Like nobody every day wants to go to work. Nobody every day like wants to do, like we don't have the freedom to like not go to work. We have to go to work, even if we're not feeling like it. But I was thinking that like actually labor, when it's like freely chosen or given is like very efficient. Uh, It's kind of related to that work episode I did, I recorded last time, is that like when you're doing something you feel truly called to, or like is like in your, like and and you're good at it, and like you feel like um, it's really where you're supposed to be. Like I think it's a like an extremely efficient place to work. And so the other thing I was thinking about that related to that is that like if you're freely giving of your labor because you feel like it's your calling, you necessarily don't. Money isn't really like the reason you're doing it, which takes away the time constraint of labor which makes labor expensive and also I think why like I know from a building perspective you don't see a lot of like really intricate brickwork or intricate anything uh, or anything specialized because it's all been automated or um, taken out of the hands of labor um, because um, it saves more time but if that's not an issue, if, time, if people are giving of it freely because it's like they're calling and they want to do it, then the time factor goes away, which means like the cost factors kind of go away. I don't know if this is making any sense at all. Um, but there's like, I wrote this e- equation and I was like, labor plus time equals richness. And I think that that in like a really pure system like makes makes a lot of sense I don't know it's like okay so for example we have like I carve spoons sometimes and so we have some carved spoons at home um and I have like a pair of carved um chopsticks um and like that's usually what everybody goes for like if we're having a soup or something or it's like or I'm eating like noodles or something or rice I'm like always grabbing for those chopsticks and that spoon and and those spoons and it's like why why is that and I think it's because there's like this like connection with like the time and the hand and the realness like that somebody put into something versus like a machine doing it and I think there really is like a I think there's like a material connection there that goes beyond maybe what we can feel with our with our five senses and so like there's also like a connection to like the tree that it was a part of so for example i have a spoon at home that i found from i made from a piece of driftwood i found on the lake of the ozarks like on this back channel of the lake of the ozarks and like one labor day weekend when my family went up there and i took my dad's canoe out in the morning really early and i like went up this like back river and found this like floating log 
and like I brought it home, like I cut it up, and like I carved it into a spoon. And now it's like one of my favorite spoons. Um, like it's like I, like I love to grab that spoon because it's like got all this like story behind it. I don't know. Anyways, that's what kind of what I've been trying to talk about, and I feel like I'm not. I feel like I'm not explaining myself very well, unfortunately. But I don't even know, man. I sang on the beginning of this, so. I don't know if this segment's going to go on the podcast at all. That might be a little embarrassing. But also, I could just put it on there. That would be kind of scary. If you're supposed to follow your fear, I could I could put that on there. Um, anyways. Um, if you are a listener to this podcast, I will say this. You are. You can count yourself at an exclu- exclusive club because I don't have a lot of listeners at this one. So this happened. I got a. This podcast got a lot of listens, like a week ago for some reason. I have no idea why, but like a lot of listens. Like I would look on the app, like I have the podcast app on my phone, and like I would look. Like, normally I get, each episode gets, like, maybe five listens. <laughs> Which isn't, and I know I just started, but it's, like, that's pretty bad. Uh, and then it's, like, but I'm, like, you know what, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it going. And so then, like, last week, like, two of the episodes, they're just random episodes, like, that I recorded, like, just driving home, just like I'm doing right now. And... They got, like, one of them got 57 plays. I was like, how, like, what happened? And I would, like, log in, and, like, it would just, the numbers, I could, like, see them going up. Like, it was, like, it was crazy. I was, and, I, and so then I was like, wow, I'm, I must have gotten lots of plays. And then, and, like, something must have happened. And, and so then I, like, released the most recent episodes and then just like nothing like crickets and I was like oh man I don't I don't know what happened so anyways if you are listening if you're one of the two people or three people who like tuned in thank you I you're really awesome and I'm glad that you you liked to listen um that that's really cool uh so um anyways um well I think I'm done talking I don't know if I'm gonna put this last part on I really don't because well whatever man just do it just do it you're anonymous doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's the end of the day also (laughs) I'm still driving so I'm just gonna keep talking I'm gonna keep talking until I get home um, there's this singer <laughs> Bill Fay. I'm such a fan I'm such a fan man I- I'm such a fan of Bill Fay. I I can't I can't say enough about how awesome of a songwriter this guy is and poet man he's got this song 
he had an album. The entire album was called Who is the Sender? And it's like just this question about like why are we creative? And he's got this song. And he doesn't, like his lyrics aren't like very like involved. But like it's like everything, I don't know. Just his entire tone, I'm, I love him. I love Bill Fay. I love his music. And so Bill Fay uh, wasn't, like, he's he's one of these, like, people who, like, was not popular in the, was like a cult person in the 60s, like a cult music figure, um, not like an actual cult leader or anything, like a cult music figure. And then, like, everybody forgot about him. And then, for some reason somebody like this like I've, this is what happens is like somebody famous likes her stuff so I guess like Wilco like Jeff Tweedy from Wilco like really liked his music and then like and so then he started making all these albums but like he's such a great songwriter I think he's like the best songwriter of the modern period in my opinion well that's a, that's a stretch but I, I'd say he's definitely one of the top two in my opinion but I mean I don't know that yeah because I didn't even include it in there, like hip-hop artists and when I was thinking about that and like there's 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 some amazing songwriters so like um I can't really say that but man yeah he's like anyways he's um when I said it's the end of the day I was thinking about this Bill Fay song called uh, be at peace with yourself and it's like at the end of the day <laughs> now I forgot the lyrics <laughs> like it's like you can't forget the lyrics to your favorite songwriter one of your favorite songwriters uh, it's like at the end of the day oh man something about like and he's like and the wind blows like hell you're still climbing that hill but be at peace with yourself Man, if you can... Okay, so seriously, I am telling you, like, Bill Fay has released two albums. I haven't listened to the third album, but it's there's a new album that just came out, and I have listened to part of it. But, like, the song... And, um... The, um... Song Be at Pieces Yourself, it's on the first album he released, like, recently, um, which is, um, oh my gosh, <laughs> my brain, <laughs> I cannot remember the name of this album, I know oh, that's horrible, okay, so, like, the other album <laughs> is Who is the Sender, which is, like, this beautiful song the song Who is the Sender is this awesome song about like who I already said it who who like where does where does like music come from where does where does like inspiration come from uh so that album is like really 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 good too but um what's the one he did like the one that was like his his comeback album I don't I forgot but anyways that song Be at Peace With Yourself was on it so many amazing songs that entire album but you know obviously that's what makes like an amazing songwriter is that like every song is incredible on the album um anyways I 
uh, Bill Fay. The other, the other like songwriter I really value a lot, and I was gonna dedicate like an entire episode to this guy, um, but is David Berman. The um, he was the Silver Juice. Um, but that's really sad. Um, man, I don't want to talk about David Berman right now. That's going to bump me out. But David Berman... David Berman wrote songs that, like... I'm still... will listen to them. And I'll be like... Learn something. Discover, like, a new relationship between the lyrics. Like, and I've listened to, like, Silver Jews albums hundreds of times. Like, hundreds and hundreds of times. Like, the album The Natural Bridge, American Water, like, Tanglewood Numbers, all of them. David Berman is a poetic genius. And his music is incredible. And... So, what's really sad about David Berman, and probably, maybe, I don't know if anybody knows this if you're listening. You probably don't know. Maybe nobody knows who David Berman is. Um, but, um, last year he, he died. Um, and that was really sad. Um, yeah. Uh, and before he died, he released probably one of the best albums <laughs> ever. <laughs> Just about depression and sadness. Um, on his new band, Purple Mountains. And it really sucked because since I was such a huge Silver Juice fan, I he like stopped recording... He just put Silver Juice to bed, like, in 2006 or 2008. And, um... And I was always checking in, like, Googling him and stuff like that. And, uh, to be like, wonder what he's up to. And, uh, I always thought he was doing good. And then, in July, um, that Purple Mountains album came out. I didn't know it. I didn't know that it came out. And so it was last December. I, like, Spotify, like, recommended um, a Purple Mountain song. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is David Berman. And I was like, he made a, he's got a new band, a new album. And I was really excited. And then I Googled him and discovered um, that he committed suicide in August last year. And that was really tough. That was really tough to read and find out. Uh, but man, that Purple Albums, Mountains album. So Purple Mountains is like a... It's a phrase that... Uh, doesn't... Isn't... Re- like his... So it's from the song uh, America the Beautiful. And there's a phrase for Purple Mountain Majesties, but ever, Majesty, but everybody always says for Purple Mountains Majesty, they get the phrase wrong. Um, it's like a singular mountain, but everybody says the plural, and that's why he named it that, which I think is... I mean, obviously, David Berman 
and anything like that dude does did creatively is just gonna have like these levels and layers to it that are just gonna go deeper and deeper and it's just like a reward to read every time you reread um, and or listen and so man so he made an entire album and it's just like you know when somebody's just like brutally honest that's that's that album and it's just it's extremely sad obviously um and he's there's this one song on there he's like says something about like um I'll warn you I'll be candid and uh man I think it's the song I drink in margaritas at the mall <laughs> he's like um it's like basically like I've, I've gathered up my thoughts and on everything and I and I warn you they are candid <laughs> and uh yeah man man David Berman that he's got this other line in another song on that Purple Album is Mount, Purple Mountains album where he's like songs songs build little rooms in time and uh and it's like, and in each song's design is the ghost the host is left behind. It's basically like this song about like inviting his listeners to like stay in his songs, in the rooms of his songs. It's in the song Snow is Falling on Manhattan. Um, I think that's the name of the song. And it's a gorgeous song. Man. I was so... I cried. Like, I cried when David Berman died. When I found out he died. It was just, like, the biggest kick. You know? It's just, like... Some people die in, like... Famous ways. Like, when Elliot Smith died. Or when Kurt Cobain died. But David Berman died and, like... Didn't even hear about it. And he's such a genius. He's such a great writer. Incredible writer. Anyways, if you've never listened to The Silver Juice or Bill Fay, I highly recommend both. They're really great. Um, man, David Berman in, in the song, so the, the last song in the album American Water, he says like, um, it's this song called The Wild Kindness, and he says, my ski vest has buttons like convenience store mirrors, and they let me see that everything in this room right now it's a part of me oh yes it's part of me (laughs) man what a line okay um uh i'm i think i'm done i just got home i just cranked up the parking brake since i'm parking on an incline and um Anyways, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll be recording again sometime. So, all right, and I'm gonna keep talking because every time I have to like put in my code on my phone, and there's like four seconds of pause, but now I just did it, so now I'm gonna hit the button right now.